Welcome to RSP Scout Talk. Welcome, Russ. Always a pleasure to have you. I'm excited to be here. Anytime we can talk football, and I was just texting with people how exciting a time of year it was, and I said, I can't wait for next week. There's some good games, and they said, yes, and next week's also Thanksgiving. And I said, oh, yeah, I forgot all about that. So <laughs> it tells you how sometimes during football season, weeks just run into each other, and you completely forget what time of year it is. Yeah, I seem to forget what week Thanksgiving is lately. It's like I've been make, trying to make plans with people, and and they're like, Thanksgiving's two weeks away. And then when it's now that it's a week away, they're like, well, no, Thanksgiving's next week. So I, I just can't. It, it seems to be out of my mind on this one. But someone who's playing out of their mind this this year right now is Tua Tagovailoa. And so we thought it would be fun for us to talk about him, but also from the perspective of really looking at his career and the way it unfolded and how it's common with what we often see that's dangerous about um, managing and developing players that get brought in, which is a, you know, which is this topic that's a larger idea that we often see in management or the mismanagement of people in any industry. And it's the idea that we have managers and employees who are either task oriented or strategic. And the, and the task-oriented employees, as, as we often know, for those of us who are out in the working world, you know, that they, you know, who are listening to this as opposed to maybe students who are not um, or are just are doing entry-level gigs with, you know, with types of jobs that are very task-oriented and they're never going to be that strategic at the level that you're around. The task-oriented people, you know, it's, it's more like, okay, this is the way we do things. It's very automated. Um, it's, it's very restrictive, but you can be very efficient and productive with the right processes by just saying, you've got to do things within these tight parameters yeah. and, and you know, that requires, that includes paperwork and reports and pro, you know, um, techniques of how you go about doing things. Um, you know, it's like the burgers made this way in this order with these ingredients and it has to be done for this amount of time. You start with this, you do with this A, B, C, D, E, F, every step is documented and that's how you go about doing it. Whereas strategic man, you know, strategic employees are able to kind of roll with the punches a little bit more. They're more solution oriented and thinking about the bigger picture. And they often, as a result, can create um, new processes or new ways of doing things or veer from what the what the prescribed track is and and be either more efficient or more productive and successful um, from that in that manner. Um, now, sometimes what will happen is that they may cut corners and I don't mean cut corners in the cheating negative kind, but like <laughs> cut corners in the sense of where they cut through a lot of the red tape of things and say, look, do you want me to spend, you know, five hours a week doing these reports that really are going to prevent me from being able to negotiate with the supplier to be able to get, um, you know, an extra $300,000 of savings in a year or, you know, or for us to be able to bring in a client who is going to generate an extra, you know, $1.4 million of revenue. 
these are the types of things that strategic people do. Or you say, I know that, you know, the company wants us to compete with, you know, with this, you know, we got to compete with these competitors who have way more training than us. But one way that we can go about doing that is we train people in this manner, which is different from what we've ever done in our company. Um, but if we do that, we're going to wind up w winning this competition with a, you know, that's going to bring us, you know, maybe triple our business if we do this. And these are the types of things that, that strategic creative people do. And I think I bring all this up because we see in the NFL a lot with quarterbacks, Russ, that sometimes they get brought in for skill sets that they have, um, for results that they've gotten. And then they're asked to basically, you know, maybe they're a, a world-class chef and then they're brought in and saying, listen, this is how we make the burgers. We follow the McDonald's track. We don't want any items on the menu that you've brought in here. We want you to prove that you can prep and make a hamburger on this conveyor belt type machine um, that flame broils them, you know, as opposed to we want you to like sear a steak and, and do some interesting things with the with the flavorings. Yeah, and one of the things I've, and I really learned this first when I was at the Rams in terms of uh, free agency, um, and then learned it more with college scouting, but what I often saw was teams would see a player with another team and they'd say, wow, he has this, the, the athleticism, the skill set to fit what we want to do in, the, in our defense or in our offense, whatever it may be. And they'd sign him, but when they got him, they'd say, yeah, he has this skill set, but we know he was normally, he played a five technique in this 34 defense, but his skill set really fits what we're going to ask him to do as a seven coming off the edge. And it, the, the idea behind it, okay, you looked at the skill set, that's great, and you're thinking it fits, but you're also now saying we're investing all this money and ask him to do something he's never done on a high level. And I'm not saying it can't ever work. It's just I think sometimes you have to look at it and be a little more cautious and say, hey, if we're asking a guy who has never done something before or rarely done it, even though he may have the physical skills and we believe the mental skill set and intangible skill set, it's not as easy as just snapping your fingers. Yes. And I think sometimes you, you, people get so caught up in their scheme. And, and, and I look at certain guys like Andy Reid, to me, is a great example, or Bill Belichick, who they say, okay, I have a scheme. This is what I'm looking for. These are the ideal traits. Yet when they get them in their building, they may say, you know what? I, he has the skills to be this, ideally. But we also see from working with him now, he may have a few things that don't fit exactly what we were thinking. So instead of saying, keep doing it until you get better, they say, you know what? Why don't we adjust a little bit of what we were thinking when you came in to fit what you can do? Because I think oftentimes people, coaches, especially to me, it, it, there's a big difference between the really good ones and the average and bad ones. And a lot of the bad ones are so rigid with their system, both what they want to do schematically, but also how they teach and the methodology about training their players that they're unwilling to adjust. Yeah. And I think it's very difficult, especially in today's day and age, because the, the players that are coming out today are such phenomenal athletes. 
and the offenses that are used in high school and college, which therefore those offenses are more wide open. It also leads to the defenses being more wide open, that a lot of these players are better athletes and more versed in a lot of things. They may not be as technically proficient at one area as they were 20 years ago because they're doing so many things. So if you bring them in and force them to become technical experts in one area very fast, it's not going to happen. And I think the smarter coaches understand that. They work with their players not only to see the skill set and how it fits, but to tailor what their teaching methodology and what their offense or defense requires of a player based on the skill set that they observe once they're in the building. Yes, because, I mean, one, we often see in the media, we have to be careful as fans and media to understand that when players get or coaches get hired, they're always going to be labeled the genius in some level, you know, or highly competent in something and at what they do and what they're going to bring and how they're going to do it. But usually it's not the things that they're being um, praised for is not about their management skill. It's about their ability to, to have gotten production and results um, and be, or being associated with a winner. Um, yes, and, the associated with the winner thing to me is the craziest part of the whole business. Yes, so you get this a lot. And so we presume that they understand how to manage. And they can. Um, they often There's often some level of management skill, but it doesn't mean that they've managed at the level that requires them to be, um, that, that's required of them to be a coach. And so... With this, you get people who unintentionally become gatekeepers of their system. And when you're a gatekeeper, you often close off um, people's access to becoming the best that they can be for, in favor of, of your system. And I think what you bring up is a great point about, you know, bringing up the five technique who maybe has shows some skills to play seven, but you don't realize the work that's going to take for them to play seven. But it, that's one thing. It's a whole different scenario when you're going to take the operations manager of your offense, the guy who's actually going to be the brain on the field for most of the execution and diagnosis of your plays and say, I want to superimpose my way of thinking into your brain. And, it's, and you know, if you've ever... You've, you've ever done a do work with spreadsheets or you've ever written um, feature articles that are more than 500 words, but like 2,500 or 3,000 or 5,000 words. And you're actually having to craft a story and how you go about constructing it. Or you play music and you, you play solos, you know, and you improvise. All these things are insights into someone's brain at work. And quarterbacking is insight into a player's brain at work. You know, you could look at um, you could look at Brandon Whedon and ask him about why did you try to force the throw in this tight window on this play? It was successful. Why did you do it? And he might say he might give all of the the strategic and play oriented. Um, documentation as to how this play works and what the coverage does. And then I know I have X point, you know, 3.4 seconds between my drop and my second read to be able to get that ball out. And I know that the ball's probably going to get there at about 
40, you know, at 45 to 52 miles per hour. So I know I only have a certain amount of things, things that might be very detailed breakdowns of these things. Whereas you might look at some, you know, you might ask Patrick Mahomes that question and he might just say, cause I can, you know, and, and it's not even, it, it, you know, there's a lot more complexity going on, but the way that he thought about it is, is just more of the fact that he's like, you know, I'm, I'm skipping some of these things that yep. you might want to justify to other people, but I'm so skilled at what I do. I have a good feel about how, how to go about getting that done. And I think that people don't understand that because you're looking at the brain of, and thought processes of another, of how a person operates, that if you try and superimpose your own, if you're a task oriented manager and you hired someone who was strategic and who is creative, you've got to give them room and you got to learn as a manager to give them room to be who they are. Or you wind up Dan Reeves with John Elway and, and what he did with John Elway earlier in his career. Yeah. And I, and I think what I, I think something where the fans sort of get trapped, I guess would be the best word is when we watch games on TV and we're very fortunate, there are guys like Tony Romo who, will give us sort of a breakdown of here's the scheme, here's what they should have been looking at. And there's always been guys that are good at that. But I think fans don't realize that if you went and sat with Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Philip Rivers, Peyton Manning, and you put the same thing up on the board, every one of them would come at it from here's what I looked at first. It would be different for all of them. Yes. Because everybody's mental picture of, and it's not that one is right or wrong everybody's brain for football, even though they're trained, hey, you have to go through your progressions, you have to figure out where, what the defense is doing, who's going to be open, they all have different ways that they do it. And I think something that sometimes gets lost is some coaches and executives view a player and they say, okay, he's smart, we put him on the board, he's really smart, he picks it up, he understands it, he can make the changes, so he's going to be able to do and learn the way we want to do it. And you bring him in, and physically, he may be able to do it. Mentally, he may be far exceeding what you need, but he doesn't do it in the same way that you're asking him to do it. And I think those coaches that don't say, okay, what is it we're missing? How do we make it more to the player so his learning and everything goes the way he needs it to be to fit and do what we need? Those are the coaches that are successful. Those that don't ask those questions those are the ones that fall by the wayside. Yeah, that's for sure. And we look at, we look at Tua. I mean, that was one of the things that was fascinating about him is I, I mean, I had Tua. And I know this is I'm not alone in this. I, I mean, I had Tua, just I mean, slightly above Joe Burrow, um, in my pre-draft rankings. Even with his injury, it might have been a little bit higher if not for the injury. And a lot of it just had, it was based on the assumption that he would land somewhere that would use him to his abilities. And that's the only assumption I can use with, with what I do. So it's like, if given all things equal, that each player gets a system that is, that is based on what he does best, I would prefer to a Tonga Vailoa, to, to Joe Burrow, just by the smallest amount. Intangible enough that if like someone said, you know, does it is it really that important which one or the other i'd say 
No, it just depends on the system. I mean, you pick the right system, and I'd much prefer Joe Burrow and pick another system than I'd probably prefer Tua. Um, but, you know, overall, if someone said to me, which one do you like better? I'd say, you know, it was so small that you could probably flip a coin. It would depend on my mood on the day of what I what traits I prefer a little more than the other and which one is fits that. And with Tongvaloa, we saw that earlier in his career that the system that he was in really didn't maximize what he did best. And I, and I think we see a lot in the media right now, two things, either how great he's doing and then, or he's doing great, but really what they're doing is just pairing him up with, you know, letting him do these things because he has two great receivers right now who are hard to cover alone, much less together. It's practically impossible to have to deal with these two guys. And now you have this offensive gene, young genius and Mike McDaniels, who's a, obviously doing a great job as a young coach. No I mean, doubt. There's, no, there's nothing to take away from him in that level. But at the same time, it's kind of like saying, well, Drew Brees wasn't a good quarterback until he had Sean Payton. You know, um, Joe Montana wasn't a good quarterback until he had Bill Walsh. Instead of being able to say Drew Brees was a good quarterback, he found and then he had a coach who understood what Brees does so well and let him loose. You know, it's or we, you know, Brian Dable understood what Josh Allen did well and let him loose and also let him develop in a way that fit what he does best and not try to make him relearn an entire game um, to be good. No, I mean, you nail it so much. Firstly, yeah, with two, I mean, I remember when those guys were coming out and I remember talking to teams because I felt when you watched Alabama film, there were things Tua did that to me were a level above everybody. Now, I'm not saying he was like the only elite quarterback and everybody else was a, a reject. They were all very well thought of prospects, those top three. I just think there were certain traits that he showed that were really pretty special, especially poise-wise. I thought that was the thing to me that was really rare with him. Um, and I remember asking a lot of NFL people, and the majority told me, hey, if if, the, if we, we take medical off the board, he is number one. But a lot of teams wouldn't have even considered him in the first round because he had been injured so often in college. And generally, if you're broken in college, you're going to break in the pros. So – Teams get very leery of that. I think even more in today's NFL with the analytics because the data even backs that up further. Um, and I think what you, what I look at when I see two and I know, like you mentioned, Montana and stuff like that. When I look at two, I say, okay, great receivers. Yeah, they've helped him. There's no question. But how many teams have had great receivers and the quarterback and the team did not win? It's happened a lot. There have been a lot of quarterbacks. I mean – and I'm not trying to knock him. Matt Stafford had one of the greats of all came time. To mind. Yeah. And and not only did they have Stafford, but they had other good receivers. I mean, guys like Golden Tate when he was there, they had other players that were good. And it's not to knock him, but the whole team didn't gel and move forward and win. So there's something to be said for yes, the receivers help, but it's the scheming, the tailoring of the offense to fit the talent you have, the allowing Tua to develop. You're not forcing him to do stuff he's not ready to do and do it before he's ready to do it. 
because for him that first year, he didn't get the opportunity to learn like the other guys. He was still rehabbing. So he was a year behind both Herbert and Burrow. Yeah. So to me, I think, yes, there's no doubt that some of any quarterback's success is due to the talent around him, but they're doing a great job of what the Chargers have generally done with Herbert, what the Bengals have done with Burrow, what Walsh did with Montana, which is look at the skill set and figure out what does he do? Well, two is a very poised kid. He's very sort of, he has that sort of personality that it seems like that everybody wants to crank it up a notch for when they're playing for him, that it matters more. Um, he seems to be a very accurate guy, regardless of situation. And he also doesn't seem like a guy who's going to force passes. He knows he's not going to be able to consistently make. So, I mean, there's a lot there. I, I've been very impressed by their coach. I've never met Coach McDaniel. But he seems like a very open-minded guy who says, hey, this is what I like to do. But I'm also looking at Tua, and I realize he's not like the other quarterback that I may have had before that I coached. So how am I going to adjust what I ask of him and still use the, the basic tenets of my offense, but how am I going to adjust it to this player? Yeah, and that's so important is being able to have that latitude to say, you know, because if you're a task-oriented person by nature, and I have to think that most coaches who've been successful coordinators are pretty task oriented. Oh yeah. And you at least, maybe NFL. not completely, but a lot of it. Yeah. Yes. There has to be a lot of it or they're really good at finding assistants who can do the tasks to the letter that they need them done so that they're freed up to have the time to, to, to be more strategic in how they go about doing things. And that's why, we often see this dichotomy of coaching just as we do with manage in any type of management is that the guys who tend to be strategic are excellent delegators. You know, they're, they're very good delegators. They understand how to find the right people to do the tasks for them that free them up to do the other work. And yeah, to then, look at the big picture. That, so they can look at the big picture. I mean, I think you, you look at Mike Tomlin and he's obviously a big picture guy. Um, I, I think he's a big picture guy. I think, um, John Harbaugh is probably a big picture guy, um, in terms of how they go about doing things. And, and I would say Andy Reed is a big picture guy. Um, and even though he came up in probably the most, um, you know, task oriented of systems because of all the detail that has to be in place with a West coast type of offense and then what they've kind of evolved to and having dense playbooks, you, you have to, you kind of have to do that. But at the same time, he's also willing to look at players and go, well, let's take a chance on some of these guys and let's figure out ways that we can use them. And, and I think a perfect example of that is, you know, players like Kareem hunt, Kareem hunt in his first year. I mean, part of it was desperation, but, there are coaches that we have seen that when they have a player like a pros pro like Spencer Ware who who can do everything you needed him to do at the running back position other than author breakaway runs. And then you get Kareem Hunt who could catch the ball very well but couldn't pass protect to save his life. I mean, you put him on the back side and it was still a risk even when he was taking on, you know, being like helping out on a double team. It was still a bit of a risk. 
And Andy Reid realizing this by the end of the first summer was, you know, certainly kept Spencer Ware in the lineup until Ware got hurt. And when Ware got hurt, Reid didn't say, well, Kareem, you're going to have to prove that you can be a pass protector before we use you when we know clearly you're the best runner on our depth chart We're go- and you can catch the ball. We're going to figure out ways where you don't have to pass protect at all, where we, we can use you on we can use you in the passing game and we'll make sure that we feature you as such because if we use you enough in the areas of the field where you are you're skilled it's going to compensate for the fact that you're not pass protecting because we won't need pass protection to get the ball off to you to generate big plays Um, or we can find someone else to help pass protect while you're on the field or run type of plays where they see they they see how we're um, aligned and that that pass rusher is going to, they're going to have to adjust and realize we can't rush the passer the way we were going to, we're going to have to adjust as a defense because um, we're going to get beat clearly if we do this. These are the types of things that I think we have to understand about coaches, especially, um, you know, you had a good story about, the the 49ers and Bill Walsh that you talked about once before but I think you, you know you mentioned that you mentioned this earlier today that it's a that it's probably a good example of being able to to coach and adjust and understand ahead of time that it's not like oh I'm gonna have to adjust with this player it's more of a how do we approach looking at players based on what we do yeah and I think part of that is I mean hey can certain things be a little too rigid? There's no doubt. But I think if you're going to be as focused as Coach Walsh was when he was a head coach, I think one of the things that they did a great job of is they clearly said, hey, we have a very detailed way we want to do things. Um, and one of the unique things I thought was that they would videotape their position meetings when the coaches were coaching so that if a coach left to go to another team, that replacing coach would be able to watch those videotapes and they would be able to say, we want you to teach the position this way. Um, and it may seem very rigid and I understand that, but two things it does. One, I think it was clear by that coach Walsh doing that, that he basically was saying that, Hey, I just got to the 49ers and this place is a disaster. We are going to be very structured in what we do in order to make sure we're pointed in the right direction. And I think the other thing that that does, both good and bad, is by identifying and teaching a specific way to teach your players, it makes it very easy as an organization to identify, okay, we must find players that not only physically have the traits to go out on the field and do what we're asking, but they now, we have to find out that they can learn the way we're going to teach. Now, that may, in some respects, be a little bit rigid, and I don't know how well that might do today. I think the system would work, but I do think you would have to adjust to maybe be a little bit more flexible in your teaching methods by position because as we talked about earlier before we got on the show, offenses and defenses from the high school level up have changed so dramatically in 20 years that I think you get more players that are solid to good in a lot of technique, but they're not the technical experts in one area that they may have been 20 years ago because they didn't line up in the same spot all the time. So it may be a little more difficult if you're that rigid in your teaching in today's NFL by position in terms of how you teach it. But 
I think what he was trying to do is say, hey, we know what we want physically, and we're going to find the players that can learn the way we're going to teach. And by doing that, if you can find those correct players, you have a great opportunity to really excel. And I think it also probably helped them that when they drafted a player, if they brought him in, they would know pretty quickly if they had selected the right player, at least mentally, because they would be able to figure out if he was learning from their coaches and taking it the way they needed it to. Like I said, I don't know if that level of detail would work as well today, but I think the idea behind it is important because, and I can tell you this from experience, when I go look at certain players when I'm scouting and I bump into a player who maybe is not a guy who has that innate drive to be great on the field, like he doesn't compete hard on the field all the time, but he's a great worker off the field. He claims to love it, does all the little things, but in games, he doesn't have that fire. Well, I make better make sure the coach of that position is a guy that in games, A, is on the sideline, and B, is one of those coaches that has the ability to get through to guys like that. Because every player has his strengths and weaknesses and has to be figured out, and I need to make sure the players I'm bringing in at that position fit that. And I think the smart organizations identify the skill sets of their coaches just like their players. Because if you don't, how are you going to match them together? How do you match up? And a perfect example is when you go to schools and you talk to them about each player, and you may find a player where they say, hey, this is a kid you really, you, you can't you can't coach this kid hard. And because of where he lived and how he grew up and his family dynamic and everything, he's a kid who needs more of an arm around the shoulder, pat on the back, then jump him and scream at him. Well, if you know this and you know that he does not learn if you're attacking and screaming and yelling and you have to baby him a little bit and sort of walk him through it, that's fine if you have a coach who has that skill set to do it because there are a lot of players in the NFL from all different backgrounds. Some need to be screamed at until the, until the end of the world. Others need an arm over their shoulder and a little bit of mentorship. And your job as an organization is to identify the strengths and weaknesses of all your coaches, which players are going to fit with those coaches and with your scheme to be able to succeed. And the one thing I want to also throw in there, because I know what everybody likes to talk about, and obviously I'm not going to say Belichick isn't a great coach. I mean, what he's done is (laughs) unbelievable. But I don't think Andy Reid gets enough credit because if you look around the history of the NFL, most coaches have been very successful with one quarterback. And whether it's winning Super Bowls, if you want to make that the only criteria, okay, then maybe Andy won't get in there because he's won the one. But if you want to make it winning and doing it with different organizations and different quarterbacks, I don't know if you could have a different change of quarterback to go from success with a guy like Donovan McNabb, who was one of the first truly rare athletes who jumped in and played quarterback. And I'm not saying jumped in like he wasn't prepared and didn't work hard. He did those things, but he was unique to the position because there were not many great athletes at the time playing the position. So Andy had to tailor the West Coast offense around that. Then when he gets to Kansas City, he has Alex Smith, who was also a great athlete, but a very different quarterback, much more of a progressive sort of systematic, almost a little bit robotic at times quarterback, but really functioning at a high level because of his combination of athleticism, intelligence, and just he was a different guy. And then to, to to sort of go on a complete sideways note, and then you have the great athlete Mahomes with the great sort of 
intangibles and character and all those weird things that he somehow has that I don't think many quarterbacks have ever come into the league with sort of not only the intelligence, but just that sort of awareness of themselves and of their situation and everything that he has. This guy's won with everybody. Yeah. And I don't think people realize how difficult it is to win in the NFL and to win with three different style quarterbacks, although they all had some similarities. The job he has done to tailor both the scheme and also the way they teach to each player is truly remarkable. And I, I really don't think he gets a lot of credit for that. And that's something that I'm just amazed at. Every time I go there and I'm fortunate enough because they allow CFL scouts a lot of flexibility to come and watch practice and just to watch, even with, obviously, Patrick is his guy and he's the star, but even watching him when he is interacting with the second and third string yeah. quarterbacks and even watching the coordinators and the quarterback coach, how they interact differently with each coach or each player and how they teach them. It's really something that's unique. I see it in a few buildings, but you don't see it that often where you can see that they're coaching the players differently based on the mental and physical skill set that those players have. Yeah, and it's such a great point. It's an important part of organizational management when you're when you're doing that and you're approaching players based on their strengths and weaknesses and what you can do to maximize your strengths and minimize their weaknesses. And part of that too, I think one of the other points that you brought up that I think was was important is that oftentimes when you're starting out as a coach, especially when you're entering a situation that has been um, underperforming by a great amount, sometimes you do have to impose a system at first. Now, I think the part that we see happen where there's failure to, to move past a certain point and you plateau is the ability to say, okay, we've reached the point that our system is in place. Now, how do we loosen the bounds of some things a little bit to account for the fact that we now have, we now have good players, we have a good way of doing things, but now we get a guy like a Lawrence Taylor type, and there are not many Lawrence Taylor types. I'll say this, a Lawrence Taylor type of player who is more apt to be on the spectrum of, he may, he may not be the most attentive during meetings. He may not be the best practice player um, in some level. And I'm not describing everything accurately about Lawrence Taylor with this. Okay. I'm just giving examples. Yeah. You, you know, and, but he certain thing he may not fit every little task that we ask them to do, but what he's going to do on the field is going to elevate our team to another level. And we can now account for that because we have the balance in place to do so. And I don't think there's a lot of, this is the point where I think a lot of coaches experience their wall. They hit their wall and can't get past it. Because now they're at that point of like, well, I've built this thing. This is good. And either whether their ego's invested or it's all they knew how to do. I think that's really a lot of it is that this is all they've ever known how to do. And they haven't improved or grown to the point to say, how do I get past myself to allow, you know, this team to el to transcend what I'm doing? Well, uh, well, I think, and we talked about this, I think, either last time or two times ago. The perfect example of where an organization is at and what you can and will tolerate is on. It's 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 right there for everybody to see. 
is the Giants and the Chiefs and Kadarius Tony. Yeah. Because if you look at Brian Dayball, I am sure if you ask him off the record and everything, does he think Tony has the talent to be a special player? Would he love him to be there if everything was perfect? 100% he would. Yeah. But he's coming to an organization that has been, and I hate to say it, the Giants are one of the, 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 the cornerstone franchises of the league. Sure. But he's come to a place that's been a disaster. Yeah. For the last five or seven years, and they had to revamp not just the coaching, but they had a new GM come in, and they made a lot of changes, got rid of a lot of longtime people, both in coaching and scouting. I think so. Dable's trying to set that culture, like Bill Walsh did with the 49ers. And he's saying, here are the steps, here is the model, here's how we're doing it. And I think he looked at Tony, and, and not that he didn't think he could play, and not that he thinks probably, he, I don't, I'm sure he doesn't think he's a bad kid. It's just right now, because they have to pay attention to every little thing in order to get the culture going in the right direction. Yes. They are forced to probably run off some players they would prefer to have two years from now. Yeah. But I think that they, they know they have to make sure the foundation is strong. Whereas the Chiefs, Andy's been doing this in Kansas City and in the NFL for 20 years. His locker room is not going to change having Kadarius Tony there. Yeah. Because they've got to, sort of like the Patriots all those years, they could bring in players that maybe were troublemakers or not even troublemakers, but just didn't fit perfectly in other buildings. And they could be there because the culture's set. Yeah. Tony's not going to change how the, the Chiefs do things. He's not going to change their receiver room or their running back room if he lines up there for a few, some of the meetings. All that is set in stone. Nothing's changing. Whereas in the Giants, everything is new. And, and, and it's sort of a perfect example of, I think Dable did the right thing because oh, he, has, he has to do this. If they don't set the rules now, yeah. it's a lot easier to be that hard ass setting the rules when you first come in and slowly take your foot off the pedal as the culture is built than it is to try to be loosey goosey early on and allow some of the same things that have been going on for the past five to 10 years to take place and ruin what Clearly, there's more talent there than we thought. What is a talented team? Yeah. And Tony can go to a place like KC, fit in easy, doesn't have to stress over this, and give him a year or two in that environment to mature and to adjust to the NFL. He probably is just a kid that's a little younger than his age yeah. and needs more time to adjust to being a professional. Yeah, and so and this is where you're going to see all this media criticism from people who have no man experience at all managing or leading people or they do they've done it in a very limited way or they did it in a generation or a period that may have been um you know has evolved to the point beyond them in terms of what they've done and doesn't mean they weren't great at what they did before but there's a point that you could bring a high school coaching mentality to the nfl at one stage maybe when many years ago and you could probably still do that with the college game right now because there's limited hours that players can practice so you need to have a system in place and these players need to fit your system oftentimes more often than not and they're less mature and there's less time on their hands. And you have to make everything rigid due to NCAA regulations to make sure you're following them. So if you're an extremely task-oriented coach, you're probably, and you're a good coach, you're probably going to do well in the college game. But you probably are going to screw the pooch in the NFL if you don't have some strategic 
understanding of things and how to match how people do work because you are you have unlimited well you have a lot less time relative to the NFL um, NCAA you have a lot more time to be able to to do things these players have a lot more time to work on their games and they are grown men who expect to have the freedoms to do what they do and so for you to come in and say we're going to run things the way we did you know Steve Spurrier had this issue you know he, he he was he thought he's going to impose his system on the NFL and then go play golf in the afternoon and that's not going to that's not going to work and and I think that you know people don't understand that and I think oftentimes what you don't you hear is people will say stuff about Kadarius this Kadarius Tony situation especially in New York and and if it works out for Kadarius Tony they'll say well Dable made a bad decision and that couldn't be further from the truth because he can't there's a point that he does have to be able to say, this is a good, um, you know, this is a good player, but I need my, I need to keep my team and I need to be able to make these things work out um, on a fundamental level first before I can grab a player like him. And I, a hundred percent that yeah. that's the best way to describe it. Cause the reality is, and you and I have been around long enough is if Debo keeps winning, no one's going to really care that he got rid of Tony. Yeah. If he keeps winning and they're in the playoffs, but if things don't progress and maybe Daniel Jones doesn't get any better after this year, maybe he becomes a worse player. Then I think people will go after him for Tony. If Tony becomes a star, but I think what he's done there is he said, Hey, we have a way we're going to do things. We have a way we're going to treat people. And this is how we're building the culture in two years. Hey, how ironic would it be if in three or four years they're winning and Tony's on the market? Yeah. And, and better the opportunity to bring him back. And better yeah. And better to give away a player and get something in return as opposed yep. to ruining a player or to put a lot of obstacles in front of that player that just you know other people are watching that too. And if and you don't want you don't want to set that tone either where you basically ruin a guy. Now in high school it's different. If you've yes. got you know, you may have a special kid, but if you lean on that kid who doesn't have the maturity to be able to do that, you're putting a lot of risk on that kid and you're trying to t teach people about teamwork and how to be a team and how to sublimate some of what you do for the betterment of the whole. And sometimes, and more often than not, there's fewer situations where you're going to say, "Well, we have this great quarterback, so, but we have very limited talents around him, but we're going to make them try and play up to the quarterback." More likely, they're going to say, "Listen, we have a great quarterback. We know that if we had, if we were at the school that was well funded and had these types of things, and these types of kids could come in." And we could get them wide receivers who were worthwhile. We can get them offensive linemen who are worthwhile to pass protect. Then we would be we would let him throw the hell out of the ball. But because he can run and he's a great quarterback as a runner, well, we're going to run an option offense. You know, we're going to run a, a military, um, you know, academy type of offense yeah. because we don't have the players to do it any other way. And if this kid isn't willing to do that. Then we're gonna have to we're gonna have to move on, and we're gonna have to set a rigid boundary with all these things. But it's a different story in the NFL, where you know these men have they're they're more mature. Not always, but there's 
there's a great most of them are more mature they've they understand the objectives they understand what's going on with that and you can you you can lean more on one player than others unless the situation is so broken that you've created bad examples to me i mean i i know this may be my only my i may be the lone opinion on this but to me I look at the fact that they signed Kenny Galladay to make him a primary receiver year, a couple years ago in New York. And that tells me everything that I, not everything, that tells me a lot about what I need to know about where the organization was at. Because they didn't pick the right player for the right task and they unintentionally rewarded someone into thinking that they were a better player than they were. And so now, because you can see what his reaction was when he wasn't playing, which is, I don't get it. And his response was, I'm getting paid X amount of money. I should be out on the field, which is that's common sense, but it lacks perspective. And it also shows that this player doesn't, this player has been enabled to think he's better at the, at the role that they want him to be in, that he was never that player in that role. He was a good wide receiver. He's yeah, a he's good, a good solid solid player. He's yep. a good NFL wide receiver. And man, if you put two, two good route runners on either side of him and let him match up with some players, he's going to give you production that looks like what his contract is paid for. But you're not going to ask him to be the guy on that team. Exactly. And the fact that Dable's making this decision, these people see that. And I think people see that around it and they're like, oh my God, he's stirring things up. Why is he doing this? I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense. They're paying him this. It's the same reason as why oftentimes people in businesses say, who have a clue will say, well, give me someone who leans on the fact that they say they have 28 years of experience. And I'll tell you about someone who's made 28 years worth of bad decisions because I don't really care about if you're leading with your experience more often than not, you're not telling me about your skill or talent capacity. Whereas oftentimes I'd rather take someone who has eight weeks of experience, who has the ability to learn and has the ability, if they, if, if their ability to learn their, their flexibility, their talents are on par or are better are so good that they're actually better and compensate better for than someone who's, mediocre or bad but has years of experience in a highly rigid system of things somewhere else that may have a great name but when you look at how they manage you'd say that doesn't work that doesn't work for us i'd rather take the young person i mean the ritz carlton used to do that they used yeah, to have tests perfect sense yeah yeah they used to have tests where they would they would grade people on a test and they and if that person scored a certain level with the consulting program that they used, they would put people in management positions who hadn't been managers if they showed that capacity compared to someone who was applying for the job who had a resume somewhere else, but they knew that that person wasn't going to be a strategic solution-oriented person who could relate to people, but they could do, but they could do these yes. five tasks well, you yep. know, so... Well, and you know what? To me, it, it, this whole discussion makes, to me, the cult situation one of the best case studies we're going to see. Yes. Because I remember 20 years ago when Bill Parcells was winning and crushing it, I remember an interview, and I don't remember where I read it, but it was with an NBA coach, and it may have even been an owner, who said, 
I think Parcells would be a great NBA coach. He said, if we could put him with some expert technical guys, he goes, he seems to have that knack for figuring out how to use each player to the best of their mental and physical ability. And that's why when I look at, and, and don't get me wrong, I get, and I do agree that there is a little bit of sort of insulting to the, the coaches that have been grinding their way up. Yes. I, I get that just like there was when Mayock got made GM in Oakland and that whole thing. But at the same time, I think it does lend a, or bring up the question of if we're talking about the CEO, not the coordinator who's going to call the plays, not the quality control guy who's to chart and do all that, but the CEO who is there to lead, how important does the CEO or is it for the CEO to be a schematic genius or is it better that he be a guy that gets a pulse for every coach, every administrator, every player in the building and figures out a way to get them all focused on the task at hand, which is winning. And that's, and part of what you bring up is important because I understand the sensitivity to the idea of, well, it, I understand that it's insulting to coaches and it's insulting to people who've grinded their way into a position that it, that it feels like a slap in the face. But part of the problem with that is that if owners actually were hiring well in the first place, then this wouldn't be an issue. But the reason it's an issue is that you, they're making such egregiously bad hires at some in some corners that you that the uh, the layperson can look around and go, well, they ignored this guy who had these skills and done these things and had had you know has this resume and and that and you can point out the low hanging fruit of those scenarios but there yep. is a point that even if they progressed beyond that we would be at this point one day where we'd go well how 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 well are they hiring for strategic people and jeff saturday i mean say what you will the the thing about jeff saturday you know i heard ross tucker make this point and say well he doesn't understand he may not understand the scheme. He may not understand these things. I'm rooting for him. I know him, all these things. And he made some good points about that. But I think you make a very good counterpoint, which is that if you, number one, he played center in the NFL with Peyton Manning, who was a who was as close yeah, to the so thing you know as a coach on the field. You yeah. know, the, the highest processing positions in the NFL are the closest to the middle of the field as you can get. He's at the epicenter of the field. He has to know what's going on. He also sees it from a perspective that very few people actually saw um, because it's one thing to be, have been a quarterback. It's another to be the guy in the middle of the trenches. You have to see the field in a very different way. Um, and you also tend to be the type of guy to know what you can't, what you do and don't know and lean on the people who do because that's what offensive linemen have to do all the time. And when I think about coaches who were offensive linemen we have andy reed and john madden i'd say that's a pretty good pair of coaches who who played in the trenches you, you know yeah. either in the middle of an offensive or defensive line you know and and so there's something to that um and to understand really that more importantly you know you we talked about tomlin we talked about harbaugh who were special teams coaches um you, you know on yep. on those levels but they were also guys that you can understand that they they 
pick the right people to do the jobs that do the detail. And now their job is to look at it and go, well, this is well-crafted and well-constructed, but how's it going to answer this question that's that's looming for us in this game? Because what happens when this breaks? What do you have planned for that? Well, we haven't planned for that yet. Well, then, okay, well, we need to figure out a way to do that, you know, instead of being so married to things. And especially to me, because you point out the hiring practices, if you just think about it, Bill Belichick's won six Super Bowls. Um, whether Charlie Weiss left, whether Josh McDaniels left to go to Denver, whether Scott Pioli left, even Thomas Dimitrov, who was very successful in Atlanta with the Falcons, they all left. He kept winning. Yeah. So, and, and Andy Reid, Philly, Kansas City, how many of his assistants have gone on to be head coaches and Andy keeps winning? So clearly a big part of the success of both Belichick and Andy is Belichick and Andy. Yeah. And hiring people just because they happen to work for somebody who's successful without saying, hey, what is the personnel? They do an interview. I get that. But there's something about, and you talk about it, how in college and high school, you're dealing with a different person than the players in the NFL. Because, yes, you have the rookies who are young and dumb and they're coming in all wide-eyed or whatever. But the bulk of the players in the NFL are two, three years in, really three or three plus years in, they're adults, many of them married with a family, all of them with a house that's got a mortgage. So how do you get those people along with all the coaches who are all there because they want to make a lot of money and become head coaches and administrators and scouts and all, how do you get them all to buy in? Well, that's where being that leader and that's where just basing it on, oh, I'm going to hire the coordinator from a winning team is just, to me, it's about as idiotic as you get. Yeah. And it's when you, you know, I saw an interview with Brian Dable, Steve Smith's going around, I guess the NFL with every team as part of his broadcast um, company's shtick, which they're having him play a role in every organization for a week, you know, and it's a, it's an interesting little insight to, to things ranging from, you know, the, the nutrition that, that goes into the things to being someone who holds the, you know, who, who delivers the balls on the field um, and preps the balls for game day to actually being a, a wide receivers coach or something of that nature. And he, you know, one of the things he, he was with Brian Dable and they, and he was in the wide receiver coaches room and they, um, Dable talked about what, well, one of the differences for me is that everybody comes into my office and has to, has a question for me. And it's the most important thing that's on their mind at that moment. And it may be the, 15th most important thing on my mind at that moment but i have to treat it as if it's the first at that thing and he said that's the difference between being a head coach and not and i can certainly understand that it's just like being an operations manager you run somewhere and everyone's got a fire and they're looking for you to put it out um or to give them the tools to put it out and you have to you know the new managers i see this all the time they're like they were really great at what they do and then they're managing people and they're like i'm not getting any work done like the things i'm supposed to do i'm having trouble getting things done because i've just spent literally three quarters of my day in meetings i you know meetings that to me are almost worthless you know and and you find that there's a 
you've got to find your rhythm as a manager of how to go about doing things that way. And what it forces you to do is to delegate more. It forces you to delegate more of what you do. It forces you to also manage your time in a certain way where maybe there is a certain period of time that you, the things that you have to get done, you do before anybody gets there. You know, you do it and you have a rhythm of a period and say, either everyone's gone home I'm getting this stuff done to get ready for the next day or I'm getting here before everybody else and I'm getting this stuff done before people start coming in because all day I'm going to be putting out fires or going to be planning ahead or going to be dealing with questions or situations about what I've asked them to do. And you've got to, and if you're not a good manager in that respect, but you're a genius of a, of a football coach, you may lose your mind and you may become very difficult to deal with um, and so off-putting to deal with that nobody wants to come to you about things. And there were things that impact your game plan, that impact whether they sh- yeah. what they should do about a player. You know, well, why aren't we playing this guy? Well, because of this. But really the real answer was not because this player couldn't do these things that you could have probably resolved. It's because you weren't available enough to have the conversation with the position coach to talk about this player and come up with a plan that the coach could deal with or say, don't do it or we're going to trade this guy because we can't deal with this. We've got other things we've got to do. You couldn't help him make that decision that was really going to matter. And now, not only that, now the coach has probably made the wrong decision about the player. Now it's blown up in the media. Now um, now you're not winning because, and you could have taken care of all this if you sat down and showed that you were not so off-putting to deal with what the coach was like. You know, I'm not going to get screamed at by this guy telling me that I'm wasting his time about yeah. some silly question when that silly question turned into Kadarius Tony is just put up a 150-yard game in you know because he was an injury guy. How come they haven't used him? And he's complaining in the media about what's going on because, again, we didn't approach it well. When If you had just spent 25 minutes with me you know, three, you know, three months ago, we would have had a plan for this. And none yep. of this would have ever happened. And that's the stuff that people don't get with yep. management. No, and that's why, to me, I, I'm so intrigued. And like I said, I go. I, I understand the frustration and, and the outsider viewpoint of Jeff Saturday, but I really am intrigued to see how this works because if it does, then you'll. I think you'll see that the people like the Mike Tomlins, the Coach Harbaugh's, the Coach Belichick's that have that ability to lead and figure out how to motivate and relate to everybody in the building, that is a way more important skill than being a technical genius. Yes. It's absolutely so, but you know we need to have we need to have leaders who understand that and aren't pressured by the and the media is a big part of that. The media is a, a rough one. It's a big pressure point for owners to feel like they have to justify every move they make, and there's a level of insecurity that's embedded with that that then they get punished for showing that level of insecurity by the media. It's like can't win situation. So really at the end of the day, you kind of have to say, 
I'm going to be friendly with the media, but screw them. We're going to maintain an adversarial relationship because you're more damaging than helpful. I'm going to treat you really, you have to treat the media like a client and, Mm -hmm. and you have to understand that they are a meddlesome client who you have to limit their access. You have to learn how to manage them well, to give them enough of what they want that they feel good. Um, and I've seen some media folks who who are big names, and I won't mention them by name because it's not worth the, the trouble, but they're, they're folks that I've heard scouts say, oh, to see how excited they get when they get to be walking around with the GM, to how excited they get when they're with the coach, just, you know, relative to a player or relative to somebody else to see how they behave to be able to get that treatment it tells you everything about who they are compared to how they deal with one set of people to another because really it feeds their ego it feeds their feeling of what they've done it's not about the job for them it's about being seen it's about having this there is no doubt about it yeah and, no, it's it's a it's an interesting sort of. I, I really think this will be a test case because if he wins, yes, and ends up staying and winning, what? I think you will see smart teams say, okay, maybe we have to figure out a better way to identify the leaders. Yes, yes, because leaders matter, um, and it's interesting because I think on the other side of the building, it's going sort of in the opposite direction. And I don't think it's positive, which is you're going away from finding, and I'm not saying it's got to be scouts. It can be scouts, administrators, whatever, but people to lead the scouting department, the GMs or play personnel, that a lot of them are more business oriented, which is fine if they're leaders. Yes. But to lead that group also is another group where you need a person who can relate to people and figure out people. They may not have to be the best in terms of evaluating skills, but they may have to be the best in terms of sifting through and figuring out people's motivations. And I've seen we're going away from that a little bit. Yeah. And that scares me a little bit on the on the scouting side. Yes, because there's always got to be a balance between craft and, um, you know, and looking at the data and looking at the numbers and looking at the, you know, you've, you have to have that balance between task and strategy. Yes, and, exactly. And, and and that that that's really summed up this show, I think, pretty well. Is how do you balance task and strategy and the challenges of doing that in the league? So I'm glad we've worked backwards in this to you know <laughs> for me to be able to figure out a title for what this podcast was. But that's what, <laughs> but that's what makes this so fun is that we can get together and we can have these conversations about things that may you know that I don't have a clean title for. Um, but can be really fascinating insights about the league and how the league works and where it breaks down sometimes um, in in addition to that as well. So, you know, on behalf of all our listeners, you know, we're always appreciative of you, Russ, and we can find you at Russ Landy um, on Twitter. um, And, of course, you can find me at Matt Waldman um, on Twitter and MattWaldmanRSP.com is my site. And, of course, our YouTube channel where you can see um, these podcasts, um, Matt Waldman RSP Film Room, as well as a bunch of um, 
you know, a bunch of videos on, on players and different concepts of things that I look at for the rookie scouting portfolio, which I will announce an early bird sale for the 2023 RSP. Probably after Thanksgiving at some point, we'll run it for a couple of weeks for you newbies who've been on the fence to, to give it a shot. I'll just tell you, when you when you get off the fence, um, you're never getting back on the fence again. No that's, chance. That's pretty... It's, it's the best thing you'll ever buy for football-related books. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. Well, I appreciate that, Russ. And, and, it's, and, and certainly, I, I will tell you, it's, uh, you know, the, people who, the people who get it stay. And I'm appreciative of all of you who listen. And, and for those of you who are new and want to listen to more podcast content, you can find me um, at Matt Waldman's RSP cast at pretty much any podcast outlet where you download podcasts. And you guys have a great week.